preaching today from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. You can find that on page 1392. It's a progression of thought here, so I will back up to verse 11 so that you can see the connection and what Peter is laying out in front of us as Christian behavior in the world. Starting at verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. What is your relationship to the government? I realize that that is a kind of loaded question. It is very complicated by a number of factors, and we can think of our relationship to the government from a lot of different angles. And it may have been an easier question to answer in an earlier age of our country when the government was more reflective of Christian values. But it is becoming increasingly different these days, isn't it? The question remains. What is your relationship to the government? Peter says, submit to those who are in authority over you. Submit to those governments in which you live. Every civil institution Peter calls your attention to, whether it be kings or governors, He says, these you are to submit to for the sake of the Lord. In other words, Peter says this not just because there is convenience or there is some sort of practical wisdom that is easier if you go with the flow. No, Peter is setting out something that is of godly significance. It's of Christian faith to submit to those who are in authority over you. This is an expression of our faith. Verse 11 and 12 describe our actions as being a witness to the watching world. And so last week I said to let your light shine. Christ has set you in the world as a light. And one way you do that is by your relationship to the government. By your submission to the government, you are acting in faith and honoring God by honoring those in authority. 
You demonstrate your faith by honoring that authority. You fear God, you honor the king. Now, I realize that such a simple statement needs a lot of unpacking, so let's get to it. I want to start with the assertion of of Peter's here to submit to government. Then we will look together at the qualifications and the effects of such submission. Peter says to submit to government. Peter isn't introducing something new here. Jesus himself taught this, uh, this godly act of faith as an expression of our understanding of what God has instituted in the world. Jesus taught it in a very practical circumstance. There were some that came to him and said, should we pay taxes to Caesar? That's a really good question, isn't it? Do you think the Roman Empire was a Christian institution? Well, no, it wasn't. The Roman emperor thought he was a god. He was commanding people to worship him. And so this was a very cunning question that was asked of Jesus. It was designed to trap him and to get him into all sorts of trouble. But Jesus could see through all of that, and his answer is an answer that confounded them. It silenced the ignorance of foolish men. And his answer was, well, show me a coin. And whose image is it on the coin? Well, it's Caesar's image on the coin. He said, well, give to Caesar what belongs to him. Give to God what belongs to him. It was an honor that was given to the authority of the Roman Empire that was over the nation of Israel at that point. What Jesus was teaching was a principle that is a foundational Christian understanding that God is the one who has instituted human governments. It is his institution, not man's. God is the one who has set society in order in this way. Now, Paul is one of the ones who teaches us the clearest If you want to read more about this, you can read in Romans chapter 13. Let me draw out just a few of the things that Paul says. You'll find that it is very similar to what Peter says. There's a reason for that. They're all teaching the same thing. This is God's truth that is being set out. So Paul says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. That's what Peter said, right? He goes on to say there's reason for that. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. For he is God's minister to you for good. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. I hope you can hear the agreement between Paul and Peter, but that agreement is grounded on this institution of God himself. He is, the, he is the origin of civil government. What, uh, what's made clear is that the source of that authority comes from God. 
Now we know that the Lord remains sovereign over all things, and that includes earthly governments. He is, but, but he has instituted that government for good reasons. In fact, as Paul says again in, in Romans, uh, uh, Romans 13, that the Lord has, has armed him with a sword. He has armed him with the sword to punish evildoers. He carries out the purposes of God, and those purposes are revealed by, by Jesus, by Peter, by Paul. Peter says it here in verse 14, that God has sent those governors, those authorities, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Now, this is very practical, and, and uh, it's a verse that helps us to, to, to craft our understanding of what the government is ought, uh, ought to be doing, what the government's job is by God's authority. And much more could and has been said about this, and I want to just uh, very briefly sketch some of that so, so that you can understand what Peter is saying in this context. His intent is to help you understand your relationship to the government. But the government has a relationship to God that is implied here that the Lord has appointed them to do a job. And their job is to punish evildoers and to reward those who do good. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But it is expanded then to describe all of the different circumstances that wherever government is found, that the simple understanding is, is this, that they rule in a way that encourages those who do good, and restrains evil. As I said, this is very practical, and I hope you can see the beauty of God's design here. Those who govern bring order to society. There's something good about restraining evil, isn't there? Imagine living in a world where there wasn't that restraint. Imagine living in a world where there is no law and order. And I don't think you even have to run very far to imagine this. We're seeing it played out in our own society, in places where they're experimenting with abolishing the police, of living like you are the authority, and that you can determine what is right and wrong. You want to take merchandise from a store without paying for it? Well, go ahead. You want to sleep with whoever you want? Go ahead. You want to say things that are patently untrue about others, regardless of whether or not it damages them? Go ahead. Who's going to stop you? Well, the government will. (laughs) At least they should. God put them there to restrain evil. That's what law and order is about. It's part of God's purpose, knowing the evil intents and desires of mankind. 
that we run amok unless there's restraint. And so God has given governments the authority and the power to rule in ways that restrain evil and encourage good. Given this truth, given the truth that God is the one who institutes governments, you are called to submit to government. There are qualifications in this, and I'll come to that in a moment, but but the baseline response that we have, the baseline response to government is a response of submission to live well and respectfully under the authority of the government because it comes from God. Much more could be said about the role of government, but again, my intent today is to help you to understand Peter's teaching about our relationship. And I want to just give you several assertions that rise out of this. Peter's teaching and the biblical doctrine about the authority of civil government forbids anarchy. That's the idea of casting off all authority as if it were evil. God forbids anarchy. This teaches against the Marxist ideal of revolution, the idea that mankind will make progress to some higher state by stirring up revolution in an ordered society. This teaching against a a government that is instituted by God leads us away from a Christian idea of withdrawing from the world and withdrawing from the authority of civil government as something evil. There are, are enclaves around the world that have done that, sometimes officially, sometimes unofficially. Christians are prone to say, well, I don't have to obey the government because it is, uh, it is evil. Also teaches against a Roman Catholic view that has a very different idea of the relationship of church and state, where the church is the one who who actually rules the state. Those negative assertions lead to some positives, that God is the one who instituted the state, that he's given it a separate institution from the church and the family that he has given it authority to rule and the power to punish those who disobey. So again, our starting point is to recognize the authority of the state as coming from God. And so the simple instruction that Peter gives is very pointed. Fear God, honor the king. Start with submitting to government as coming from God. And our faith and our obedience to government shows our greater allegiance to God. Now, there are qualifications to submission, and that's where I turn next. 
The government, like every human institution and like every human being, can and does behave badly. Or to put it bluntly, governments sin. It can abuse its God-given position and power. It can rebel against God and try to cast off its own responsibility to follow God. It can govern ways that seek to suppress Christians. And rather than punishing evildoers, they come to punish Christians. Rather than encouraging those who do well, as Peter says, they, they discourage those who do well. And worse, there are growing movements in our own country, and you can find this around the world, that there are governments who imprison Christians who silence their voice, who scatter their gatherings, who even hunt and kill Christians. And Peter knew this. So did Jesus. God knows this. The Roman Empire is well known for its paganism for it having the idolatry of the emperor. It's well known for its falsely accusing Christians. Maybe you've read how they've famously accused the church of cannibalism. They've willfully misconstrued the idea of the Lord's Supper as if we actually would eat the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Those are symbols that we use to remind us it's not literal cannibalism. But the Roman Empire falsely accused the church of that. They accused the church of incest because brothers and sisters would live together and marry together. As we know, brothers and sisters are a sense of Christian brotherhood and relationship. And on and on, the, uh, the Roman Empire was... It was famous for hunting down Christians and then using them for entertainment, throwing them into the Colosseum where they would be eaten by animals or killed by gladiators while the crowds watched and cheered. So the government can definitely act against the law of God. So Peter qualifies our basic stance of submission with this phrase. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Now, this does imply that there's a fundamental spiritual nature to our submission to government. Remember, it's not just a practical thing. It's easier to go with the flow kind of mentality. No, This is something that comes from God. But it also implies that governments, too, are accountable to God. That means that if the government requires you to do something that is sinful, that your submission to God overrules your submission to the government. You can see this acted out by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It really is a dramatic telling of their understanding that I must serve God rather than men. But the way in which they went about their disobedience 
was, uh, was amazingly respectful and was done in a way that did indeed silence the, uh, the foolishness of mankind. So uh, you might also think of, uh, of, the, uh, uh, of how Peter himself, with the fellow apostle John, answered the Jewish court. Sanhedrin ordered them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they said, we must obey God rather than man. So there is an understanding since governments are instituted by God that our highest allegiance is to him. That helps you to understand your relationship to those who are in authority. But they have no right to require you to sin. Here we're talking about civil government, but it can go down into all other areas of authority as well. I also want you to recognize that the word submit can often be misunderstood and misapplied. It can be used even as a weapon to beat down those who are under authority by those who are ruling. Leaders can abuse the teaching of submission by saying, well, the Bible tells you to submit, so do as I say or else. Commentator Doriani puts it this way, in the Bible, the word submit can be a milder term than obey. To submit means to arrange one's life under the authority or guidance of another. That is, a person who submits still has some freedom because he or she decides how to, how to follow the leader. You could see this in verse 16, where Peter says that, that we are free. Our allegiance as a bondservant to, to God means there is a certain amount of, of freedom that comes to us in respect to our relationship to those in authority. We are free, but at the same time bondservants of God. So there is a qualification to the authority of the government. They are limited by God to their task that is given to them, to punish evildoers and praise and protect those who do what's good. When the government requires you to break God's law, you must answer, we must obey God rather than men. And in doing so, your life will testify to the world about the one true God who is the source of authority. Though they speak against you as evildoers, as verse 12 says, though they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So I say again with Peter, fear God, honor the king. Fear God, honor the king. And there are effects to this submission, to which I turn next. Verses 15 and 16 Uh, Peter further develops that idea of letting your light shine. Your honorable good works testify to an unbelieving world so that they may glorify God in the day of visitation. Now remember, like I said last week, this may refer to some of them being converted. But it may also serve the purpose of leaving them without an excuse. 
This comes up in verse 15 when it says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Your life shines the light of Christ to the world. And the way in which you relate to the government is part of that light. It demonstrates your faith. And it is an answer to those who persecute you for doing good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As At the end of the day, in fact, your godly behavior shines through. And shines through in a way that shows the ignorance of Foolish men, it puts it on display. It is even silenced. And if not in this world, then on the day of judgment, when Christ comes again, foolishness of rebellion against God and the foolishness of government to suppress Christians will be put on display. Like the way another commentator named Harold describes this. Nothing serves better to reduce, if not completely silence, such accusations as the right acting and good citizenship of the saints. He's saying uh, nothing is better to reduce it, if not completely silence it. It demonstrates to the men of this cursed world that those whose citizenship is in heaven are blessings to any earthly nation in which they dwell. What civil magistrate would not prefer having people who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit as compared to those manifesting the deeds of the flesh as citizens of his realm? It's foolishness to follow the counsel of a government that wants to suppress Christian behavior. It's utter foolishness and self-destructive. And, and, and the watching world can, can see this. They try it over and over again to their dis- destruction and disaster. And so Peter goes on and says, free, uh, live as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Remember, Peter is referencing here your freedom in Christ set free from the bondage and the curse of sin. You're set free from the slavery that that is, and you're set free for a purpose, set free to follow him and obey. There's never freedom to follow vice or to, to live in sin, but because of Christ, we're set free to follow after him. And in doing so, your life is light and salt in this world. Here we go back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and Peter's application of that sermon in a specific situation. In a situation where the church was living under a godless, persecuting government. And yet... He says, 
submit. For in doing so, it is the will of God that your obedience, your godly behavior would witness to the world. It would witness to the world of the foolishness of acting otherwise. It witnesses to the world that there is a God who rules over all things. It is a witness to the world that says, you know, you have your gods, and you could threaten to throw me into a burning, fiery furnace. But God, the one true God, can deliver me. And even if he doesn't, I won't bow down. You remember the effects of the witness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? It was the will of God that they would suffer. It was the will of God that they would be arrested and bound and thrown into a furnace that was heated seven times hotter. So hot that the flames popped out the door when they opened up the furnace to throw in those three men. They popped out the door and burned up the soldiers. But it was the will of God to silence Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, uh, didn't we throw three men into the furnace? Was it only three? Yeah, 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 you're right, Nebuchadnezzar. It was only three. You can see, you can count. Then why do I see four in there? <laughs> and they're alive. The form of the fourth is of the Son of God. Come out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Tell me what this has happened. Tell me what this is about. And as they came out without the ropes, without their hair burnt off, without even the smell of smoke on them, Nebuchadnezzar was forced to acknowledge the god Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Governments are under the authority of God. And you are under the authority of God. God has placed you under the authority of government. There are qualifications to that submission. But by submitting to government and by submitting to God over that government, you testify to the living God. And you testify in a way that silences the world. Now, it may may be that we experience more of the harebrained ideas of not prosecuting uh, shoplifting, of doing away with laws against... uh, adultery and, and uh, accepting all sorts of different ideas of marriage and that 
that our, our government will follow by the ring in their nose the idolatry of this world, and that their laws will reflect that. Foolishness of ignorant men is on display. What is your relationship to government? Arrange yourself underneath the authority that God has given you. As free and yet as bondservants of God, arrange yourself in a way that submits and testifies to the watching world that there is a living God who rules over all things. Is that easy? Well, I can't imagine it was very easy for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as the ropes went around them. But by faith, they said, God will deliver. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. May God give us such grace and faith to stand and testify that we fear God. Because we fear God, we'll honor the king. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we need a lot of wisdom to know how to navigate all of this. It is, a, it is difficult even when obedience is easy, even when submission is easy. But when it's hard, it brings in lots of complicating factors. We fear for our liberties. We fear for our livelihood, fear for our lives. Lord, we fear you most of all. Fear in the best sense of that word. Honor you, O God, as our king, as the one who has indeed instituted all government and authority for very specific purposes. Lord, you rule over them and you hold them accountable too. So God, I pray that you would help us to know what it means to fear you, to honor the king. And in doing so, oh God, may our light shine as you have purposed it to do. May our light shine and show that there is a God in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Back to Psalm 72 now. As God gives his judgments to the king and to his son, he does rule and reign over all things, and he gathers men and women from all language and tribe and tongue, and he calls and he assembles even the authorities, the kings and the nations to bow before him. To his glory... Psalm 72 closes with a vision of that work of the gospel that is is expansive, that the name of God is declared and is declared so that he reigns while sun and moon last. And of the increase of his government, there is no end. It is described as waving grain on hilltops, bending over, so full are they with the harvest.
That's our prayer and our vision for what God is doing through Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing his praise, Psalm 72C.